Thank you. Uh, it's been, um, uh, we're just doing a little mini-series just for three weeks. On, on, on. We're, we're talking radical this term. Uh, we're having a focus on radical church, but this is uh, all about being a radical uh, disciple. And um, I, I'm just so excited by what the Lord is doing amongst us. There seems to be a real sense of people are, are wanting to ask questions uh, about faith. There are people who have uh, never been near church, who've been coming along and just saying, I want to find out about this Jesus. Uh, and that's been really amazing. But also a sense in our, in our midst that we're saying, we, God's, got, God's got something. He's doing something. He's up to something. And so we're really hungry for the things of God. And um, so what we're going to do is spend a little bit of time in this passage in, in Luke 9. Um, last week, uh, James did a great job. If you remember the word he used last week, which I think he used a lot, was the word focus, you see. Okay, so that's good. Um, we can usually just remember one thing, but focus last week. I haven't got a pressure washer with me or anything like that. Uh, and, um, uh, but it sounded like it was a really powerful, connected time, which is fantastic. So I want to try and build on that uh, today. Father God, we uh, just invite you to come and just take what I say and use it in our lives for your glory. Uh, we come here as uh, people in need of your grace, in need of your love. Uh, and uh, thank you, Lord, that by your spirit you're going to speak to us. I pray you would take what I say and use it for your glory. In your name. Amen. So I, uh, you, I think you know this. I love sports. Uh, lots of types of sports. And uh, try and play a little bit and, and do what could have been described. Not really as a jog. Uh, I, I don't know what Ken described it the other day. He saw me, I wouldn't say running past, but what did you describe it as the other day? But it, he said it didn't look enjoyable. But anyhow, yeah, anyhow, it was. And, and so that's what I try and do a couple of times a week is go for a little jog and often in that direction uh, out towards Potter's Bar. And, um, but I do also within it love this time of the season, particularly in the football season. It's just everything comes together. You know, as Arsene Wenger once said, um, Christmas is important, but Easter's the most important. Just as a true theologian, you know, he understood the heart of it. So, um, uh, you know, this is a, a really fascinating time of the year. And, you know, last Saturday I had the privilege to go and watch Tottenham play against uh, my old uh, team uh, that I was chaplain of in Bournemouth. So watching right up at the top of the beautiful stadium the 95th minute was awesome, it's got to be said, although I stayed very quiet as I was in the Tottenham end uh, when, when, when Bournemouth won uh, with virtually the last kick of the game. Come on, I've got some Bournemouth fans here, which is great. But yesterday was great fun because I went with two other people from here all the way to Loughborough in the afternoon to watch the um, girls, the women's uh, so under-16 FA Youth Cup final between Manchester United and Arsenal, okay? And um, one of the members of this church, Vivian Leah, who comes to the 1045, uh, is in the Arsenal under-16 team and uh, also plays for England under-17 as well. And I said, look, I, I, I said about two months ago, if you make the final, I'm going to be there, okay? And, you know, the fact is I had to make my sacrifices to go and follow her as she was playing, uh, which was great. Fantastic game. Unbelievable levels. It was incredible level. Really exciting. 2-2. And Vivian was one of the people that 
scored in the penalty shootout, and they won in the penalty shootout. Here we are. We got the, hopefully, oops, here they are. The winners. Arsenal won. Uh, beat Man United. Sorry to any Man United fans. Uh, I, I very rarely say that sort of thing, to be fair. Um, but uh, yeah, 2-2, and they won on penalties. It was amazing, and it was fantastic. One of the people that's always um, fascinated me in my life, particularly when I was chaplain down in Portsmouth, was this guy. Now, this guy is a guy called John Westwood. This is his day job. He and his family own an antiquities secondhand bookshop in Petersfield, which is just north of Portsmouth. And his family have owned it for like 70, 75 years. In the week, this is what he does. Looks a very normal type of character, all right? In, he looks typical for a, an antiquities-type um, bookshop, okay? This is what he looks like on a Saturday, okay? Okay? The contrast is quite remarkable, as you say. I'll just go back to what he's like in the, in the week, and then you see him like that. Look, look at that, look at that, okay? What a contrast. He has 60 tattoos, I remember him telling me once. He's actually so passionate in his following of... Portsmouth Football Club. He changed his name to John Anthony Portsmouth Football Club Westwood. Okay, And John has given his life, literally, to following uh, Portsmouth. He is there pretty much at every game, apart from the games he's been banned from. Okay, He plays a bugle in the most appalling way that has wound up more away fans than anybody else, which is partly why he does it. Um, but his following, his passion is quite unbelievable. And he would have been there yesterday when Portsmouth had a mighty victory against Accrington Stanley in League One, okay? Which, as if anybody saw the advert a few years ago, exactly. The, um, the fact is, is, he is a passionate follower. So what is church? Well, most people nowadays would recognize it's not about a building. It's not about a service. They would see it as a family. They would probably understand that church is about followers of Jesus. Today I'm thinking about that word, having had focus, had to find another F, follow. Follow Followers of Jesus. But it does beg a question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? I think particularly in our Western consumerist culture, where Pretty much the going to things or being part of things can be very much a sort of like a retail thing. We go and receive what we want. We can sit. We can be there. We can experience. And maybe we've lost what it is to actually be a follower of a person who is the very hinge of history. The one who in his life, death, resurrection has completely turned the world upside down. And he calls us to follow him. He calls us to follow him. You see, following Jesus is, in fact, I think, quite a simple concept. Because Jesus said, didn't he? Right at the beginning, follow me. He said, from now on, you are going to not be fishing for fish. You're going to be fishing for men and women. And yet also, the last thing he said was, in following me, you're to go. And enable other people to follow me as well. So following Jesus is right top and tail of Jesus' entire ministry. But the weird thing is that nowadays, 
it seems to me, there are followers of Jesus all over the place. Millions, in fact billions. And yet, their lives look nothing like his. And, um, you know, we can claim to be Christians and followers, but we're not actually doing the things that he calls us to be, even though they would say, well, I follow Jesus. So what does following Jesus really mean? Remember when I was a kid, do you remember uh, the game used to play, uh, which was follow the leader? Do you remember follow the leader? And the aim was you used to walk around, and as the leader did something like pat their head or touch their knees or flap their hands, then you were meant to do the same thing. If you didn't, you were out. Do you remember that? And uh, it was a game that we used to play and we used to love it. But isn't it interesting, I was thinking, in church, because the rules seem to change a little bit. That actually uh, we say we follow Jesus in a different way. We say, well, I follow Jesus. to follow Jesus, we don't have to do what he does. We just have to do it in our hearts. We just have to do it in our heart. Now, just imagine if um, it was, you know, you were asking your kid to actually play follow the leader. And they just lie there on the sofa. And they go, well, you know what? I'm just going to follow you in my heart. I mean, it'd be crazy, wouldn't it? You know, I'm going to flap my, in my heart. But we do it. Now, for example, my son, who's uh, uh, currently on a Pacific island somewhere, we have absolutely no contact with him at all, apart from we heard through someone else that he's, uh, on, uh, he's, he's managed to have a spit roast working over an open fire. That's all we've heard. So we have no idea where he is. But he was with us and lived with us for you know, four or five months or so, and was doing stuff around here. And there were moments, it must be said, even with our 23-year-old son, that we said, could you go up and clean your room, okay? Tidy your room, okay? Maybe some of you have children of that age, maybe connect with that, that sometimes you still have to remind them about things like that. Obviously not, but anyhow, with our son, that's what we said. So could you go up and tidy your room? Now imagine if he was just to say, he went out, and then he came back to me and said, you know what? Dad, I've memorized what you've said. I've memorized it. I've got it in my, in, my, in my heart. I've memorized how I should tidy my room. How do you think I would react to that? Not very well. Or maybe he says, right, I've actually, I'm actually forming a group. I've, I've actually formed a little discussion group. And we've decided that we've gone away. And we're going to discuss about how we're going to tidy my room. And we've had this little discussion about it. Now imagine if he came back and said that. I said, get away. Go and tidy your room. But the trouble is, very often in following Jesus, we fall into that trap. Go and tidy your room. And yet we operate like this in relation to Jesus. You know, Jesus was very black and white when it came to things. If you look at Luke 6, 46, he said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do what I say? What we say when we say, Lord, we say, Lord, you are my master. You imagine a, a servant of a master just saying, well, actually, I, I don't really feel like it today. You know, actually, I, I'm following you in my heart, but I'm not actually going to do it. I mean, it's just crazy, isn't it? But for some reason, we say, Jesus, you are Lord. We speak out the things. We, we talk in, in, in those. Well, I'll get John off there because that's probably profoundly unhelpful for you. But... In, in terms of following this Jesus, we say, we want Jesus as my saviour. I want him as my, as my friend. But when we say, Jesus, when he said, follow me, when his implied sense was, following me is, is all of you. 
if you want me to be Lord. One of the most amazing things about Jesus, as I say, is his honesty. If you look at Luke 9, 21, if you want to follow it at all, I'm just going to look at some of these verses here in Luke 9. Um, Again, uh, the page number was mentioned, which was um, 1039, I think it was. 1039. Um, And at this point here, we've just had a moment just before it where uh, Peter has acknowledged that uh, Jesus is the Messiah. And yet here he is, completely honest about the implications and the consequences of what that's going to mean. He says straight up, following Jesus is one of the most difficult things that you have decided to do. The problem is that for many ways we've often shared unhelpfully that if you come to Jesus, everything is going to work out fine. Life is going to be amazing. Now, yes, there are some truths that are amazing. We can know peace. We can know forgiveness. We can know heaven. We can know relationship with God. Those in themselves, there's there's not a problem with those. But actually, we neglect the other parts that say, following Jesus is going to be the biggest adventure, but the most challenging adventure that you could ever know. He goes on, as we can see here, and we, we read in this passage here. Firstly, he says, actually, you're going to experience suffering because I have suffered myself. He says here, he says, doesn't he, the Son of Man will suffer many things. He says, you will be hated. If we're going to be like Jesus and follow Jesus, you will be hated. You will be misunderstood. You will be mocked. You will be in a situation you, where your family might dislike you. It could be you'd be crucified. He goes on to say, uh, you will have to deny yourself. It says here, whoever wants to be my disciple, that means to be my follower, must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. Deny yourself. Literally, it says, turn. Repent. Turn from your selfish ways. What does that mean? Well, it means that on a daily basis, when you say, Lord, I give to you, I surrender to you my ambitions. I surrender you afresh my priorities, my interests, my hobbies, my whole life to deny myself that you might live in and through me. It's interesting, uh, yesterday in my uh, Saturday morning Connect group, we were chatting and it was one person in the group who had a bit of a revelation about his workplace. He just said, wow, sort of a reminder to me again that when I go into a workplace, I don't park Jesus, that actually even when I'm dealing with my spreadsheets and my research and my place, I'm at, Jesus can be there. And that actually I need to lay down some of those things, my ambitions, because Jesus needs to be right in the midst of that. To die daily, come on, let's be honest. That's not something that we want to sign up to. But he's saying, are we prepared to so follow Jesus that that might lead us to that? A few years ago, there was that dreadful time when there were a whole load of uh, Christians, Egyptian Christians, that were beheaded. uh, And it was all on video and all those sorts of things. And the last words from every single one of those Coptic Christians was, Jesus is Lord, before they were beheaded. There are people dying in Iran. and Some of them are, uh, are part of our congregation. There are people in India now increasingly being persecuted. 
And in Sudan as well, we're hearing stories about people being persecuted for their faith in Jesus. They're prepared to understand what it means to follow Jesus, which could mean death itself. Jesus says, if you're my follower, you need to be willing and if necessary, be prepared to give up your very life. Then and only then can you call yourself a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. Isn't that a big step up from where we often can be with Jesus? Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his amazing book, Cost of Discipleship, in a well-known quote says, When Jesus calls a man and bids a man or a woman to follow him, Jesus bids them to come and die. And interesting, the terminology in all three of the statements that Jesus uses here, uh, the translation is in the present tense. So it's a continuous action. It's not like it was just for them, just for the disciples. It's a continuous action, and it's a continued daily action as he calls us to follow him. And why does he do it? He says elsewhere, he says, you're to follow the narrow path that leads to life and not the wide path that leads to destruction. He says, do it because I am so, so worth it. And he goes on here to challenge some of uh, the priorities here and our priorities. He says, for what is good if it's for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Isn't it amazing the fact that when it comes down to it, at the last moment, the most important thing will not be our paycheck or what we know, or what we've done, or what our success is, it will be, do we know Jesus? Have we ever thanked Jesus for dying for us? The most important question we need to answer in our life. The question about following Jesus isn't so much, I think, about how do we follow Jesus. I think it's really obvious, actually. Jesus basically says, you follow me, do certain things. Talk about me. So we talk about him. Um, You know, um, feed the poor. Feed the poor. You know, um, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. It's not confusing. We try and walk our way around it and think, oh, yes, but, you know, you don't know my situation. The reality is how to follow Jesus is there in black and white. We have to choose whether we want to follow him. I think the big question is why should I follow this Jesus? Why, why, why should I give myself to this Jesus who is calling me to this incredibly difficult thing? It's not a great sales pitch, Lord. You're calling me to die? You're calling me to deny myself? But you know what's really interesting? And what I'm picking up, I was chatting to these two guys that we were going up uh, to, the, to watch the football yesterday. I went up with two uh, other uh, lads who are part of the church here. It's like, there is a hunger for, for, for our younger generation at the moment, you know, to say, we want really authentic Christianity. We're tired of a sort of Christianity just re- about religion, about turning up and just doing the right things. We want, we want to give ourselves to something that has an adventure to it. I think that is the calling of God on our church today. But why should I follow this Jesus when things seem so tough? Well, there's a, a bit of a hint of it, I think, in, in verse 26. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Because if you look at Revelation uh, and uh, uh, what it says there, it talks about Jesus returning in his glory. And when he returns in his glory, it won't be some nice little picnic. When he returns in glory, it will be the, the holy 
lamb, it says. The lamb of God. And not the lamb of God as some sort of cutesy little lammy, you know, pouncing around. They'll be in the next few weeks, we'll go to lambing, won't we? The springtime. Oh, I love seeing the lambs. You know, it won't be nice and, 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 and you know, nice little lambs. This will be the lamb of God, the holy, pure lamb of God. It talks about who will come and ultimately, as he says here, he will judge us about where we are with Jesus. Remember, this is the person who talks uh, more about money than prayer. It talks more about hell than heaven, this Jesus. And I like what Francis Chan said in uh, a talk he, he, he shared on surrender, which is, honestly, I follow Jesus because what other choice do I have? There's a moment when Jesus is with um, his followers. And, and what he's saying is so hard. It says that it was so hard the people left. They thought, this is too hard for us. And then he says to the disciples himself who were left, he says, oh, haven't you left as well? <laughs> you know, he seems slightly disappointed. It wasn't hard enough for you. And Peter comes up with this great phrase. He says, well, where else can I go? You have the words of eternal life. And there's that sense almost, isn't there, that actually with what Jesus is calling us to, where else can we go? Because we know fundamentally that in his words and in what he calls us to actually brings life. And actually we begin to have real to us, revealed to us that actually those things that we thought were, were, were going to be difficult to give up, that actually they would have been uh, places that would have led us into destruction and despair. And actually, when we make that decision, difficult decisions sometimes in situations to say no or to go a certain way, actually, it brings blessing. It brings peace. And actually, in digging into those things, he knows better. He knows that in doing those things, actually, they will bring life. And so he invites us, basically, as I come into land, to surrender. He says, trust me, and then you'll find life. He says, if you come humbling to me, then I promise to give back to you a hundred times more than anything that has been demanded from you. Because you see, he's the creator of all. We come to him and he's ultimately the ultimate giver. He can't not but give. And all he does is call us to follow him fully in giving our lives. And as we surrender, we begin to realize it's a good thing. He promises to lead us into a life of adventure that we could never have come up with ourselves. Now, for many of you, you've made huge sacrifice in following Jesus. For some, I know the stories of the journey they've been with is where they're rejected by their own country, by their own family. Others have decided maybe to pursue a certain you know, career path or whatever because they've had to sacrifice certain things uh, for that. Lots of you have made different sacrifices in terms of not giving in to peer pressure, what it might be. And I want to say we honor you. But above anything that we could say, Jesus honors you. Because in that sacrifice, he meets you and he walks with you. But the challenge is, who is this Jesus we follow? Do we want this Jesus purely on our terms? Is he some sweet little guru where we can just rub the lamp and that's how we see him? Because Jesus is calling us to so much deeper, a radical following of him. Because as someone said recently, I was reading, the world doesn't need cool Christians. 
The world needs Christians that are prepared to die. Let's just pray. Father God, we, we need you. And yet in our, in our moment of need, you have come by sending your son Jesus. And as Jesus, you came, you came into this world, right into the muck. You also called us back to what we are meant to be, which is in a place of worship of you, of surrender to you. And so we humbly come to you now. And we say, Lord God, we recognize that very often we've left you on the mantelpiece. Or we've left you in our pockets. And so for each one of us, let's just maybe just say, Lord Jesus, I surrender myself afresh to you. I surrender my life. I surrender my family. I surrender my um, ambitions to you afresh. Thank you, Lord, that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Thank you that as we give ourselves, we will receive blessings way beyond what we could possibly imagine. And ultimately know that when you come in glory, You will take us to be with yourself. So we hand ourselves, we hand this church to you. For your glory we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. And maybe use this last uh, beautiful hymn.